Hey, I am glad you are here. Thank you for joining us. If you're joining us online, I appreciate that. And if this is what your first time or one of your first times, I'm so glad you came. I know sometimes it's hard to come into a new place, and thank you for doing that. So January 15, 2009, plane took off and, uh, out of New York, and it hit a flock of geese, and it knocked out both engines. And so the, pa- the captain, Captain Sully Sullinger, said, I'm not going to be able to get back to the airport. I'm going to have to put this thing down in the Hudson River. And he did. Um, there were 95 minor injuries, five major injuries, but no fatalities. So it was amazing. I mean, they, once it came down, all these ships came out to try and pull the people off. And you, man, it's cold in January, and yet no fatalities. Um, later, Sullinger was interviewed, and they asked him about that day. And, and I'm paraphrasing. He says he's, he's a former fighter pilot before he was a commercial airline. And he said, you know, I had 42 years of experience, training, and education. And on this day, I made a draw on all of that. And fortunately, it was sufficient enough to meet the challenge in front of us. You know, every time we, we get on a plane, we, we put our hands, our lives in the pilot's hands, don't we? And if you've flown, you know there's times that it gets a little bumpy and the guy comes on, we're a little turbulence here, we'll be just fine. Okay, if you say so. Sometimes the drop will be a little bit more, and it's kind of like, I... I need to know this guy's got that. But if you were flying with Captain Sully Sullinger, knowing his tracker and knowing what he's done, I I think he's trustworthy. I think he's definitely one you want to put your trust in. Well, as much as I'd say that about Captain Sully Sullinger, I'd say even more about Jesus. Life has some, some bumps, doesn't it? It gets bumpy. Sometimes the drop is big. Sometimes the news is, I'm going to have to put this down in the huts. Can we trust Jesus in those moments? We don't quite understand what's going on. You got this? Okay, I, I don't understand, but you got it? I think he's worthy of our trust. Whenever, however. Why? What makes Jesus so trustworthy? That's the question I want us to wrestle with today. So if you've got a Bible, if you open it, as Blake said, to John 10, starting in verse 1, going through verse 21. Wrestling with this question, what makes Jesus so trustworthy? Again, Jesus is in the midst of his public ministry. He's speaking to a Jewish crowd, and he's going to um, rely on a metaphor, a popular metaphor, a shepherd. Throughout the Old Testament, God used that to describe people who oversee uh, his people, Israel. And so with that backdrop, Jesus says this, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some of the way, he's the thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. So so what's going on here? So in Israel, agrarian, a lot of sheep herders, families would go together, put their flocks together, and and they'd build a a sheepfold, a pen, and it would be a stone wall all around with, with thorns on top, and there would be a an under-shepherd who would allow shepherds to come in. He'd identify them. Oh, I recognize you. You're that family. I recognize you. You can come in. But he said the, the illegitimate people who wanted to steal and take, well, well they, they don't come in through the door. They, they go over the wall to try and get sheep. And, and this heightens that not everybody who claims to be a shepherd was a shepherd. And that was a problem Israel dealt with in the Old Testament. And God had to 
talk about that again and again with his people, but never more poignantly than in Ezekiel 34. God's frustration with the shepherds, his overseers, they weren't doing their job. Here's what he said in verses one through three. Uh, Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, that's Ezekiel, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, thus says the Lord God, woe, shepherds of Israel, who've been doing what? Feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. You're supposed to be caring. You're supposed to be watching out. You're supposed to be feeding those sheep, but instead you're taking advantage of them. You slaughter them for your own good. You take their will for your clothing. You got it backwards. I'm not happy about that. You're failing as shepherds. What's God's solution? Start in verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. I'll step into the void. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. You're not gonna do your job, I will step in. I will be that shepherd. And then God finishes this prophetic word looking ahead to the ultimate shepherd. Here's what he says, verse 23. Then, talking about the future, I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. Now let me stop there and just so you know, David has long since passed by the time Ezekiel's writing this. So this is a prophetic word. It's somebody from David's line he's talking about. My servant David, and he will feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And the Lord will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. And so this is ultimately fulfilled by Jesus, the ultimate shepherd of God, the line of David. He will be the one that watches over this people. So, so again, Jesus has made some audacious claims in his public ministry, they had a light ceremony. He said, I'm the light of the world. They had a water ceremony that portrayed the life-giving God. And Jesus said, I'm, I'm that water you're looking for. And here he said, I'm the ultimate shepherd. I'm the one Ezekiel's talking about. Verses three and four. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow because they know his voice. So you, you got the picture. You got three or four families in there. And here comes family one, and he calls out his sheep. Here, sheepy, sheepy, sheep, follow me. Why did they follow that shepherd? They know his voice. Next shepherd comes in and calls them out, and they know the voice. How many of you have a dog? How many have a dog? How many have a dog? How many of you have a well-trained dog? Do you have a well-trained dog? Okay, but you, because you're such a good trainer, when you call your dog, he comes. He sits, he comes, he lays down. But if I issue the same command, your dog ain't listening to me. Why not? I'm saying the same words. He doesn't know my voice. Jesus is saying, my people follow me because they know my voice. Now, there's false shepherds out there who claim to be caring and claim to be speaking for God, but Jesus says, my, my, my folk, my sheep don't listen to them. Listen, verse five. A stranger, they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Here's my question. Voice of God right here, word of God. 
We open this every Sunday. We beg you, beseech you to get in this on your own during the week. Why? So you know the voice of God. So, so when a false shepherd comes, you go, no, 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 no that, that doesn't measure up. I'm not following that because that doesn't jive with the voice of God. Are we people who know the word of God well enough to think, eh, no, 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 I'm not doing that? Or can we be had by a false shepherd? Because we don't know the word of God. Would we be people who major in God's word that we're able to discern God at his word? Verse 6, there's people who don't get this at all. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they didn't understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. They don't understand. Jesus said, you're, you're not going to get me, you're not going to understand me until you take me at my word. I'm claiming to be the eternal son of God. I'm more than a teacher, I'm more than a prophet. I'm doing all kinds of stuff to back that up to show you that I'm no mere human. Will you take me? And you won't understand me until you take me at my word. We used the analogy before, but I think it fits. You go into a 3D movie and they give you glasses. You don't have the glasses, you're seeing in 2D. You're not seeing all there is. You put the glasses on, oh, oh, there's the third dimension. So it is with you, you're not gonna see him for who he is until you accept him as Lord, who he says he is, the Son of God. At this point, starting in verse seven, Jesus is gonna use the, the first six verses as, as a jumping off point, but it's not a continual flow. He's gonna take two concepts, the door or the gate. He's gonna talk about that. He's gonna talk about the shepherd, but he's gonna go off and he's gonna run with those just a little bit. So verses seven through 10, he's gonna talk about the door or the gate, depending on your translation. Here's what he says. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. I'm the place of security. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. I'm the passageway. I'm the way you go through to get to God. And if you will come through me, I will give you pasture. In fact, I will give you life and I will give it to you to the full. There are going to be other shepherds saying, man, you follow me. They're lying to you. This is how you do life. They're lying. If it doesn't match up here, they're lying to you. Why? They've come to steal and kill and destroy. They want to take from you. And, and he talks about ultimately the ultimate false shepherd, the thief, points to Satan, because everybody that would speak against the word of God, would claim to be a false shepherd, comes from him. He says, you know, he's coming to steal and kill and destroy. He wants to wreck your life. Jesus says, follow me, I am the security. I am the way to God. Verse 11, then he's gonna pick up on the word shepherd. He said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now in Israel, the, 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 the sheep, I mean, you were out in the pasture. You were out far away. Nobody's gonna know. Hey, a stray wolf got in and got away and I did my best. Nobody's going to know. Jesus said, I, 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 will, I will stand between the wolf and my sheep. I will stand between the lion and my sheep. Yeah, but Jesus, that could cost you. I know, I know. 
Remember, I'm, I'm the ultimate shepherd. I will lay down my life for the sheep. And that's a contrast in verses 12 13. It says, he was a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand, is not concerned about the sheep. Now, I mean, this hired hand isn't a bad person per se. It's just he's, he's self-interested. God, that look, wolf looks pretty threatening. I'm, I, don't know, I didn't sign up for this. I'm out. Sheep, I'll pray for you. I'm gone. There's a contrast between Jesus, who said, I'll lay down my life, and the other people who will split. Verse 14 and 15, I'm the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Jesus is more than, it's more than a business relationship. There's an intimacy Jesus has with his people, and he compares it to the intimacy he has with his father. Even as the father knows me, and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I'm intimate. I understand my sheep inside and out. So we went to Latin America. Costa Rica first to learn Spanish, and so that took me about three months, maybe 10 weeks, where I, got, I could pretty much understand everything, and I could follow a conversation. But you know where I struggled? Humor. Because humor is an intimate thing. There's a cultural thing. There's a, there's a play on words. There's something in culture that you don't know. And so they would tell the joke, and everybody would laugh. And then the joke after the joke became, ¿Quién quiere? Explicármelo. Who wants to explain the joke to me? That, that was okay. Okay, everybody laughed. I didn't get it. Who wants to explain it to the gringo? I, I, I wasn't a cultural insider. Remember, it was late in my time. They told a joke, and it was about Jose Maria Figueres. He was the president. They were a very prominent family. And they tell the joke, and the punchline is, he answered, I forgot. And everybody busts up laughing except me. What's so funny? What's so funny, I say? Well, their family had been on trial. Their sister had been dating an unsavory guy, and this guy got beat up. And when they put everybody on trial, including Figueres himself, their answer to every question was, I forgot. So that punchline really made sense, but you, know, you had to explain that to me. Because why? I wasn't intimate. I didn't, didn't know them. Okay? Jesus is saying, I-, I want that kind of relationship with you where I know you. We know each other inside and out like I have with the Father from eternity past. And we're growing into that. We're not there. But that's what Jesus wants for us. This isn't a business transaction. So, of course, he would lay down his life for the sheep. 16, uh, Jesus has something to say that's unsettling to the Jews if if they understand, he says this, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. So they're not of the house of Israel, they're Gentiles. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. They will follow my voice because they will become my people. And you need to understand the Jews thought the Gentiles were fire for, or fuel for the fires of hell. They hated these people. He says, no, 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 no. There's a day coming, Jesus says, where we're all going to be one family. And those ethnic tensions, that hatred because of who they were, you're going to have to put that away because you're all going to be part of my household. And so I think it follows that God doesn't have a place for ethnic or socioeconomic division because they're all of my family. 
Uh, Jesus goes on, verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. So most of this verse has been, this passage has been talking about the goodness of Jesus. He laid down his life for you. But I want you to point out one other thing. He has the authority to take it up again. Jesus loves you enough to die for you. If you're the only person on earth, Jesus would have died for you. But he's not powerless. It's not mere sentiment. He's powerful enough to be certified dead on a Friday, wrapped in grave clothes, put in a tomb, roll a couple of ton rock over it, put a guard in front of him and say, keep the guy in the tomb, and Sunday he comes out alive. He loves you enough to die for you, but he's strong enough, he's powerful enough to overcome death. That's why I think a guy like that is really worth your trust and worth mine. So we ask this question, what makes Jesus so trustworthy? Here it is. Jesus loved us enough to lay down his life for us, but he had the power to take his life back up. He laid down his life for us, but he has the power to take it back up. There's nothing Jesus can't do. And yet he loves you enough to die for you. Let's go back to Captain Sully Sullinger, 42 years flying. I don't know how it works with commercial pilots, but let's say he had the, the training and the, the ability to, to parachute when things get bad. What, what kind of pilot would that? I mean, he's all power. He knows the business. What kind of pilot would that have been? But that's not what he did. He put the thing plane down in the Hudson. You know what he did? He walked the cabin twice. He walked the cabin twice before he left. Why? Making sure nobody got left. He's responsible for everybody on the plane. Well, I mean, I, I would think time is of an element there. Yeah, it might be, but he's going to walk it twice. You're taking your life in your hands, Captain Sully Sullivan. Yeah, he is. But that's just a picture of Jesus. He laid his life down for us. Here's my question. In who or what are you trusting? Doesn't life, go, doesn't life get a little bumpy sometimes? Does it? And sometimes the drops are big. It's like this is really hard. And sometimes the bottom falls out and you have to put that thing down in the Hudson. Who are you trusting? in those moments. She said, I can get you through that. Well, I don't understand. I, I get it. I, I've been there. I don't understand either. But he loved you enough to die for you, and he's powerful enough to take up your... Who, who else are you going to put your stock in? About three years ago, four-ish, three, I went for my... Uh, annual vision check and you know you look in there and turn this does this help nope does this help nope does this help nope I did that about five times nope 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 and the guy said hey look I'm a tech but this is textbook cataract surgery what's that the doctor comes in yeah you got a cataract turns out I had two 
What's that? Well, you've got a cloudy lens. He's going to send you to a doctor. He's going to take that lens out. He's going to put a new one in. That sounds a little harrowing to me. That's a little unnerving. But then she said this to me. She said, you can trust this doctor, Andy. I sent my parents to him for cataract surgery. Oh. You're a professional in this. You trusted your parents with this doctor you're going to send me to. Oh. He's trustworthy. Why do I share that? You know what John's trying to say to us? Jesus is trustworthy. He said, you know, I, I wrote this. I spent three years with this cat on earth. And I saw him do stuff that, like, I ain't ever seen a human do. And he's no mere man. He's the son of God. And in believing in him, you can have life. And John said, I didn't have time to write everything, but I'm going to give you seven signs. And we've seen six of them so far. We saw Jesus turn water into wine. We saw Jesus heal a noble man's son. We saw Jesus walk up to this pool, and this guy's been a paralytic 38 years. So, you know, every time the water stirs, the first one in, and I can't get there, and everybody's beating me. And Jesus said, I got a better idea. Why don't you take up your pallet and walk? 38 years, a paralytic. Take up your pallet and walk. Done. Later on, Jesus is teaching, it's out in the country, and I don't know if time got away or what, but there's 20,000 people, and they're ways away, and there's no Uber Eats, and there's no high V. and what are we going to do to feed these people? And somebody shows up with five loaves and two fish, Jesus said, I can make that work. About 20,000 people. That night, he sent the disciples away, and, and, and he went up to pray, and he came walking on the water across the thing. Whoa, what's that? Oh, it's me. It's I. Do not be afraid. Then last week, we saw Jesus meet a guy who had, had been born blind. Never seen. Jesus made some mud, put on his eyes, says, go in that pool and wash, and the guy came back seeing. And I mean, people were freaked out. What is this? I don't know. We'll get his parents. Parents, is that your son? Yeah. Was he born blind? Yeah. Jesus, John is saying, I really recommend this guy. When you're going through it, I really recommend him to you. Would you take John's recommendation that when it goes up and down, it looks like you're going, Jesus is worthy of your trust. Well, Jesus' words cause a division among the crowd. Not, not a big surprise there. We've seen that before, and it comes out again. Verses 19 to 21, it says, a division occurred again among the Jews because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? Well, there's one perspective. He's a demon, he's insane. That's... Others were saying, no, 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 no. These are not the sayings of one demon possessed. Demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? That rhetorical question, no, he can't. I'm wondering if you've got friends and family members who see Jesus different than you do. <laughs> They've come to really different conclusions. Andy, why is that? Well, it's been happening since Jesus' earthly ministry. People hear the same thing and they come to different conclusions. As you interact with those people, I think God has put you there on purpose, on mission. Christ in that community. But my suggestion is, generally speaking, I, I, I would not argue. I would ask questions with these people. Ask about their experience. Why do they believe what they believe? How did they come to that conclusion? What's their spiritual background? Try and find out their story. And then use that as a platform to share your story. This is where I was with Jesus. And if people have intellectual questions, we owe them an answer. So I'm not saying don't. But often I find people's reservations with Jesus are not intellectual, they're volitional. 
I can't give you enough evidence because you want to hold on to this, you want to hold on to power in your life, you want to be able to do this or that or the other. Before you talk to people about God, talk to God about those people. And then go with the chance to get to know Him. What might God do in the context of that relationship to give you a chance to say, could I share my experience with Jesus? Jesus is going to cause division. People are going to come to different conclusions. You are where you are on purpose for a reason. Would you move towards those people in love, seeking to know their story that you might share your experience with Christ? Years ago, I went to the theater to watch a documentary, and it was about uh, these people, the U.S. Air Force in Las Vegas, who operated drones that were operating in the Afghan uh, war theater. And they're making decisions on when to fire and when to not, and, and, and there was all kinds of ethical and thing about that. But, but one of the things that stuck out to me was they were always in constant contact with soldiers on the ground. And in this particular day, there was this company of men, and he calls up to the, back to the drone operator, hey, we'd like to take a little rest. So we're gonna catch a little sleep. Can you watch over us? And then, you know, if, if you see enemy in the area, alert us and we'll, we'll get ready. I thought, man, that, that, that's, you, you're putting a lot of trust in a couple things. The, the technology and power of that drone to be able to see down on the, the battlefield what's going on. But apparently they, they have a camera that can read a license plate. So there's, there's power in the drone. But then you're, you're really trusting that operator. He, I mean, he's back in Vegas. And hopefully he's not going out to Casey's to get some pizza when you're asleep. I mean, you better trust in this guy. But he did. He did. You know, God is calling. That's a picture of I said, absolute trust. I believe you see what is going on in my life, and I believe you will never sleep on me. You will never go out to Casey's. You're always watching over me. And I put the full weight, my full trust in you. Why is it? What makes Jesus so trustworthy? He loved us enough to die for us, but he's powerful enough to take his life back up. He laid down his life for us, and he's powerful enough to take it back up. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're grateful that Jesus is the good shepherd. And as the good shepherd, he laid down his life for his sheep. But Father, I thank you that that was more than sentiment. As the good shepherd, he's the all-powerful shepherd because when he laid down his life at the right time, he took his life back up. He didn't stay dead. And as such, he's overcome life's most fearsome obstacle. He is the all-powerful Christ, the good shepherd. Lord, forgive us for the times we trust in things that really may not be worthy of our full trust. Only you. Lord, Holy Spirit, work in us that our trust, our full weight of trust would be in you. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.